if we look at the total addressable market of the US, we've got 150 million plus people who pay taxes every year, but they have different need states, different financial situations and getting at who they are is a really important part of not only how we market to them, but how we create really personalized experiences. This holiday season, marketers are facing their biggest decisions at a point of maximum pressure. Delivery fatigue and budget crunch are real, and it's leading to complacency around creative effectiveness in digital marketing, and that could make or break campaigns. So, What can you do about it? Well, you should read the automated creative white paper called Compounding Creative, an urgent Q4 wake-up call. So you can get this on this bit.ly link, which is bit.ly forward slash Q4 Xmas 2023. So that is B-I-T dot L-Y, that's lowercase, then forward slash capital Q number four, capital X, capital M, capital A, capital S, and then 2023. Enjoy. Welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative, the creative effectiveness ad tech platform. And every week I get to interview one of our industry's leaders about their vision for the future of our industry. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Jill Cress, who is Chief Marketing and Experience Officer at H&R Block. Jill, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give the audience some background? Absolutely. And thanks for having me, Tom. I am a marketer at heart. I started my career in banking, quickly moved to MasterCard, where I fell in love with financial services and understanding people's relationship with money. I had a long and I had a long and rewarding career there for over 20 years. I left to become the chief marketing officer at National Geographic, where we unlocked the power of the explorer and adventure in all of us, went back into financial services and joined PayPal. And I am now at H&R Block, which is a company that helps people with their taxes, but is really a company that is grounded in its purpose of providing help and inspiring confidence around what can be a really intimidating moment in their uh, year financially. So in that extensive career in financial services marketing, you must have worked with a lot of people. And I'm keen to know, how you want to be remembered? So you must have managed tons, hired tons, lots of different locations. But if someone was going to go, oh yeah, I remember working with Jill, she was dot, 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 what would that be? I have had the opportunity to meet so many interesting people throughout my career, particularly at MasterCard, where I had the opportunity to travel to really interesting places and understand culture and people's background. I am a really curious per I'm a really curious person and so one of the things that has mattered most to me is the relationships that I've built and how I have learned about the people that I met, their backgrounds, their stories. And so I guess what I would really hope is that people would remember me as someone who cared about them, as someone who challenged them, as someone who was not only invested in their career, but invested in who they were as a human. I just had this amazing, rewarding experience of being invited to a wedding for a woman 
who I worked with in my time at PayPal. She was uh, a, a marketer on my team. She was always one of the most valuable people in the room. She grew in her career. She was promoted. I no longer work with her, but have become friends with her and continue to mentor her from afar. And she invited me and my family to her wedding recently in Scotland. And that was a real testament of what your career is all about. It's not only what you achieve, but it's about the relationships and the impact that you have on the people around you. So I have this theory, Jill, which is you can measure how great a person you are by how many weddings you get invited to. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a good run this summer, so uh, I'm feeling good. I really haven't. So, you know, maybe I'm I'm doing the wrong thing. But I think like if you're going to make the list of family, right, you got to get invited. It doesn't count if you're family, you don't get any points. It's a zero, right? But you get a plus one if someone who is not related to you or you have, you have to be there for some other reason invites you to a wedding. That, that's your score. You know, I think that's uh, really important. So I'm backing you up there with some, some data, I think. You just made me think that I've never been able to find a good way to articulate this, but you will, you will forget literally every slide in PowerPoint you've ever seen, I'm sure, pretty much very quickly. you will remember all of those those moments and those people. I mean, I was even speaking to my dad at the weekend, and he said, "I mean, he's thirty years older than me and, and long retired, and he says he still wakes up arguing with his old boss." Do you know what I mean? And uh-huh. so, so yeah, and, and the thing is, you put that so beautifully, like you're caring, challenging, and supporting their career, and interested in in them as a human. And I, I genuinely feel that gets lost a lot. So that's a, a fantastic answer to that question. But I'm going to get down to brass tacks now. So what is your top marketing tip? What is that silver bullet bit of advice that you give your teams or find yourself trotting out most often? One of the things that continues to play true in my career is understanding how your own values line up to the purpose of the company that you're working with. I've had the good fortune to work at companies who are all really grounded in purpose from H&R Block to MasterCard, National Geographic, and PayPal. And I think if you are clear about what matters to you, what matters to the company, and what you're really good at, I think about three concentric circles. This uh, this sounds like the Aikigai Japanese philosophy of what you're what you love to do, what you're good at, what you get paid for. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I think that what you're good at has to sync up to what matters to you as as well and sort of that that higher higher purpose of the impact that you want to have. And uh, yeah, so I think you just, you said it better than I could. So how would someone do that, right? So I'm a grad. I just want a job, man. I just want to get off the couch and I want to get into a brand or an agency and you know what like if they're greenwashing and guzzling up all kinds of resources but I just need to get a start how how would you suggest someone balances that it's a great question particularly in this economy I think finding work is sometimes more important than finding meaningful work and I think sometimes there is a choice to be made in that And uh, I guess it's really a balance. And if you're fortunate enough to, even as you you make a choice, listen, I started my career in in banking and I thought that was going to be a way for me to build out my my acumen and all the capabilities that I needed to understand how markets were made and how business gets done. Even in that decision, 
I was able to find purpose in the people. Again, it goes back to the people that I worked with and uh, and and learning from them. And not to say that banking isn't isn't highly relevant, but it was through that experience that I ultimately found my way to MasterCard, where I was able to connect to a higher purpose. And so, I think in one's journey, we have to make decisions and make those trade offs. I believe that even if it isn't at the highest level of corporate purpose that align to one's personal values, there will be bright spots within an organization, within a team that you work on and finding where, you know, those, those places, whether it's a project, whether it's someone you're working with, whether it's an external partner where you can really find that synergy of, of energy and like-mindedness of, of purpose or ambition where you start to thrive and and grow. So we're going to move on now to your shiny new object, which is the role of audiences. So I know what you mean, because we chatted about this before the show, but what is the role of audiences to someone who has no idea? Why is that your shiny new object? Uh, audience has always mattered in marketing and in product development. I think I have been fascinated by what I later learned in life to be value proposition since a very young age. One of the first things, one of the first jobs that I had was when I was 10 and I organized a summer camp for kids. I called it kitty camp and I created a flyer and a brochure and I got at the pain points of, of moms who just needed some free time in the morning. And I dragged kids around the neighborhood in a wagon with a friend and took them to the park. Uh, and that was really, again, you know, it was the job of those hours that I could could spend with those kids doing for for the moms who needed time. I've always been fascinated by the job of marketing to solve pain points for humans. And as I've grown in a career that definitely was largely oriented around marketing, but also spent a lot of time in, in sales and strategy, the role of a value prop is really grounded in understanding, well, who are you serving? Who who is that client? And, you know, in traditional marketing in the lean back era where people were watching TV, you needed to understand who your audience was so you could find them and create content that would resonate with them. Today, we have such a robust opportunity to understand who is our audience and not only where to find them, but through what we can do in the way of creating really delightful, personalized experiences that work from how we attract them in media, how we bring them into our experience through .com, how we personalize that through journeys that get at their pain points is really, really exciting. And so at H&R Block, we're really doubling down on understanding who, who are we for and how can this work that we do of providing help around that moment of tax and giving clients confidence really help them. And that if we look at the total addressable market of the US, we've got 150 million plus people who pay taxes every year, but they have different need states, different financial uh, situations. And getting at who they are is a really important part of not only how we market to them, but how we create really personalized experiences. So it's taking that audience work and applying it in new and exciting ways. And 
the audience that I'm absolutely fascinated with at the moment is the audience that's comprised of the gig economy. And we're doing a lot to really understand that. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So how on earth do you start this process? So 150 million taxpayers. I mean, we can sort of slice it up by age, sector, but then the emotions that people are going to be going into around in tax season. You've got the last minute Larry's, you've got the you know, been there, been there and, you know, done it all before. You know, I've been worked in and around financial services in one way or another a fair bit in, in my career. And I've always thought that it's a, it's a massively emotional subject, right? Banking, it's out the mechanics of banking, no, but the impact of finance is. So not only have you got different age groups, different sectors, like, you know, English and Spanish in the US, you've got all of these different things. And then you've got to be representative of that audience from a visual and written perspective. How on earth do you start building out multivariate experiences from advertising through to site through to all of these journeys? That sounds like a big job. It's a big and exciting job. And of course, it starts with data. You got at it, Tom, which is, you know, we have to understand what's on the hearts and minds of these audiences. And we look at it through lots of different cuts. What is the total addressable market? Where is there headroom for growth? What is our share versus the competition? What matters in the short term versus what matters in, in the long term? And then, of course, there's really the overlay of what's happening economically, which is a big reality for Americans as we enter this upcoming tax season as it relates to financial stress and challenges on uh, making ends meet, et cetera. So, you know, we we have an audience strategy that is driven by, as you said, life stage, need state, stage, income bracket, tax complexity, and then we prioritize and and work to to get at it. And so, as I said, then you know we've got the the total opportunity, and then we get into some traditional marketing terms of those who are our, our prime prospects and understanding how how we can do all of the things that you just shared in a really effective way with them. And you know, as I said, I'm pretty fascinated by by the gig economy. And then of of course, like many brands, we have to win with. Gen Z, and we have to be a brand for them today so that they will uh, stick with us in, in the future as they continue to grow and and become more more complex as it relates to their their earning potential and what that means and and how we can continue to to serve them. We've got this really interesting legacy at h and r block. We're a seventy year old company. And in season, we have 60 million tax preparers. Um, we do millions of hours of conversations with Americans every year. So again, we have 
the data, but we also know what's on their hearts and minds. And we really feel like we have this privileged front row seat into what it means to be an American today, someone who's, you know, kind of emerging within their income opportunity, someone who's striving to do better, someone who's just getting by to make ends meet uh, in those who are who are doing well, but have higher ambitions around their legacy and, and what they want to leave. So lots of really exciting cohorts and and how we bring our capabilities and you know human expertise into how we serve them and also how that human expertise and all those years of experiences is really serving our our corpus of knowledge as we we think about things like AI to serve them even more efficiently. So yeah, there's a lot going on. So tell me about your interest in the gig economy. That sounds like it's coming from a very genuine place. So does that mean you've got like a side hustle in the gig economy, Jill, that you want to tell us about? Or is, or is it people you know, or is it they're an interesting client? Because just help me understand why that's a fixation for you. Well, you know, I think this is one of those external trends that is pretty fascinating to understand. The American workforce is absolutely changing and it's it's at this intersection of what has me curious about Gen Z and younger generations are less interested in the grind of a nine to five job and gravita- gravitating towards more entrepreneurial work. And so we're in a world where there's an opportunity to thread together potentially more rewarding work with fewer formal jobs and what that means in the way of fewer in tax talk, fewer W2s, w, sorry, fewer W2s more 1099s, more more gigs, more side hustles, and really understanding what is the impact on the American economy of what is, you know, a two-sided economy. And so we've got close to 60 million total workers in the gig economy. And what's fascinating is we've got about $450 billion of value on the other side of that equation and, and how users are embracing the gig economy. And so, you know, I hit on a couple of things that matter to H&R Block, which are those taxi things, right? So as you're as as Americans are embracing the opportunity to either have a side hustle or em- embrace what gig provides them in the way of flexibility, they have things like, you know, lots of 1099s and how do they navigate that? How do they understand what they can expense, etc.? Can we be a brand that brings that level of expertise in and care to them. And so it's fascinating. And then you think about it, and it's a really complex, not complex, it's a really interesting um set of categories. I think we all traditionally think of gig as rideshare, you know, brands like Uber mm-hmm. and Lyft. And and then we go to understanding things like delivery, where we can get, you know, food delivered to us. But then there's everything that's happening in the way of caregiving for humans and pets, fashion, and how Americans are embracing the gig economy and how Gen Z are wanting to upcycle and and be responsible and what that means for marketplaces like Poshmark. There's the rental economy where it started with renting out lodging, but now you can rent out your car with things like Turo. Um, my daughter just moved into an apartment and she hired a task rabbit, a tasker to come in and help her build some stuff. And she said it was fascinating to just sit there and observe how quickly they could get through some of those tasks. So you start to look at that and think, you know, what is the 
opportunity that those who are embracing the, that kind of work are are seeking and what are the things that that we can can do for them and when we market to them and bring them into a dot com experience how do we bring them into a product experience that starts with the multitude of of 1099s that they might have so i don't want to get too taxi uh, sometimes i think our uh, we we get excited about taxes at H and R Block, but you start to see where 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 it all comes together, and I think it's just a fascinating intersection of opportunity for both consumers and those who are are serving those consumers through some of those categories that I talked about. And how are you making your customer profiles? big enough to encompass large groups of people because you're dealing with a ginormous market, but still have enough accurate information. I, I mean, I've worked at agencies for years and I remember seeing those briefs with things like, uh, this is Steve, he's 26, he loves his mobile phone. I'm like, what? And just the nonsense and like pictures, stock images of you know, <laughs> playing with his mobile phone. And you just think, I understand that what you're trying to do is lump a group of people into a bucket, into a into a, a group of people. But if Steve ever saw himself described as that, <laughs> so the idea that that is the foundation for strategy and that is the foundation for creative always terrifies me. You don't really have a niche. You kind of got everyone really in a sense. So how do you make sure that your personas are useful to the people that are delivering the creative off the back of them? Yeah, I love that. It's, you're right. You kind of have these traditional, you know, meet Steve, the, the, the persona. We're fortunate to be in a world where we have so much data today um and to really lead you know we're 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 leading less with a persona and really leading more with data and and trends and trying to get at those those pain points and um using that to inform how we think about the role of claims that we can make and how those claims come to life for different audiences um, you know, so you think about something as broad as Gen Z, a subset of Gen Z that's really important to us are college students who will be transitioning out of college into their first job. And what we can do in the way of working with a collection of, you know, content is also becoming so diverse. We talk about the role of a content supply chain and how we can personalize that and how we can automate it and make it dynamic. Um, but it really starts with understanding, you know, what is what is the need state and kind of, you know, how do you start adulting and taking on filing a tax return for the first time? And that gets into more of the intimidation factor and sort of, you know, understanding for that audience, it's about it's about ease, simplification, being able to do it yourself from online, from anywhere, leveraging, as I said, that corpus of knowledge that we have to make that to make that easy. Um, I think personas are interesting because it helps to, I think of them as, as you said, they, they have to inform the brief, but they create empathy and, and they do allow us to put ourselves into those prospects shoes and, and really understand them beyond the persona. I think what's really important is spending time with real customers. We've got a tremendous passion, tremendous team of insights and 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 researchers at H&R Block who really help us to illuminate those audiences and take that data and, and humanize it through not only satisfaction data that we have on them like you know from Medallion other places but through 
real discussions with them where they help us to ride along and and unpack why are things so intimidating? Um, what does it mean to be really financially challenged? For example, for families right now as they're thinking about the the holiday season ahead and 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 how products that we have like a a holiday loan how does it really help them how important it is not only for the joy of the holidays but for the functional things like putting food on the table and just really really hearing from those those clients anyway i put a, i put a lot into that but um it's it's leveraging the data it's organizing the data it's creating empathy it's checking in with your customers and most importantly we get we have real time data now so we know if the content we're creating is is resonating with our audience we have an opportunity to leverage tools that allow us to you know adjust and and test and continue to meet those customers where they are by doing really important jobs for them jill unfortunately we're at time but you've taught me a lot and demonstrated how much you care about tax and that is fantastic and that, to hear that um that genuine voice to talk with such passion about the, the subject area has been a real treat for me. So thank you. If someone wanted to get in touch with you to discuss your role or any of the points that we've covered today, where would you like them to get in touch and what makes the kind of message that you will actually reply to? I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there and message me. And I often respond to something that is a reflection of the the humanity and uh why you're interested in in connecting on the thing that we kicked this call off on relationship uh as opposed to selling me something um lead with something that you care about or is an interesting bit of information about you when you reach out fantastic jill thank you so much for your time thanks tom hi just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything. I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.